few Sundays, the first Sunday in June, we will be having two indoor services starting that week, and people can also continue to sit outside under the tent, but uh, we will be having a 9 and 11 starting inside that week, and we also hope to open up our new preschool wing, which is over this part of the building, and we have five classrooms there. Uh, we're really excited about that. Um, we want to open that up with staffing, though, with people who are volunteering in those rooms, and we need your help. Uh, our little ones are uh, just a vital part of our church. They're not satellites around this, this, uh, this earth. They are part of our church body, and so we're asking if you would be willing to serve on one Sunday in the month of June. Uh, we would love it if you would sign up for that. We're just staffing June right now. And so if you're available for any of those classes uh, for the month of June, we take adults and college students and high school students. And if you have kids that can serve with you, they are welcome to do so as well. And we just want to ask you if you would sign up. You can sign up through our, there's a link in the newsletter. You can see Stephanie Massey. She's back there. Wait, rave your hands, Stephanie. Some of y'all probably don't know Stephanie yet. You need to get to know Stephanie. And uh, she will help make sure you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And we would really appreciate it if the body would help jump in with this. And this is such a great thing. We, we've been without meeting together for so long, without our kids being able to also be engaged in their classes for so long. And it's fun. I just feel like everybody's beginning to take little steps back to normal or whatever that's going to look like now. And this is one of those things. And so we ask you to be able to help us out with that. So um, I do want to say, you know, Mother's Day is really an opportunity for us to honor women. Uh, and those women, uh, mothers or not, who have influenced us and whose lives uh, have marked us and changed us. And so uh, we do want to honor women in our congregation who have acted in that way in the lives of others. Uh, we also recognize that this is a, a day that is painful for some. And I just want to acknowledge that, that there's sometimes a lot of pain associated with Mother's Day. And so you may be thinking this is a little weird, but I never preach a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, I, I've never done it. I, 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 uh, I, I do love Mother's Day. Uh, I have a wife who very much... Uh, deserves a big Mother's Day, but I, I'd make it a habit of keeping going through the series. We'd go on, one time I preached on Satan on Mother's Day. That didn't go over so well, okay? So, uh, but we are continuing our series in Ephesians on marriage, and we're talking, the, the, the title of the series is Married Like Jesus, and as I said at the very beginning, out of all these sermons, really only one of these is focused particularly on marriage, and that's going to be next Sunday. The rest of these really have to do with our relationships. When God unites us to himself through the blood of Jesus, he unites us to one another. And yet, relationships with one another are hard. They're difficult. And so, we need lots of help. We're going again to God's word. We're looking today again at Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to encourage you, you can turn there in your bulletin. It is our habit to read God's word out loud together. So, if you'll find Ephesians 5, 3 through 21. And we're going to read this aloud together. You ready? Three, two, one. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or coarse joking, or, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For, make sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. One time you were dark, but now you are light in the Lord. I better read your version. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our fortress and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, it's not often that a comedy on TV delivers not just on laughs, but also on truth. So I was watching the show. Some of y'all uh, may be familiar with the show. It's called Ted Lasso. And it's about an American football coach who's hired by a British, we call it soccer, okay, over here, over here. But they call it a football league to go coach over across the pond in England. And it's full of lots of comedy. But it's, I was surprised. I'm watching this one day, and I'm like, I didn't see it coming. This left hook of truth comes, kind of hits me across the face. There's this scene where two women are talking about what it's like as they've dated football players over years and how that's worked out for them. And there's an older woman named Rebecca and a younger woman named Kiwi, and they're sort of talking about that experience. And um, Rebecca tells the younger one, Kiwi, she says, she talks about the importance of being accountable in a relationship. And Kiwi says, what do you mean? And this is what Rebecca says. She says, well, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but I was married to a man for 12 years who never once took responsibility for any single one of them. And this kind of works on Kiwi's brain. She's thinking about the guy she's dating who's kind of a playboy, and, and she's, she finally has an, uh, an argument with him, and she breaks up with him. And this is what she says. Being accountable matters, Jamie. And with that, she breaks up with him and walks away. And I was stunned. I'm like, being accountable matters. Hmm. Being accountable matters. Do you, do you think that's true in relationships? I was shocked by that. I'm like, I bet most Americans didn't see that left hook coming right out of our face. Like, you're supposed to be laughing. And you're like, oh, oh, that one hurt. Right? Being accountable matters. You know, this morning, we're looking again at Ephesians 5. And we're talking about our relationships. And let's be honest, relationships are hard for all of us. Uh, but let's ask some questions about our difficult relationships this morning. 
I mean, what do you do when the other person is being a jerk and they won't stop being a jerk? What do you do when they don't care? Or, or what do you do with those issues and patterns in a relationship with the spouse or somebody with whom you have a, a really deep relationship, those habits or patterns that they're re- unwilling to deal with or change? Like what, what, when they say, like, why do you make such a big deal out of everything? You know that? Or they have that tone of voice of like, you spent what? Those kind of ways of talking? You know, a person who maybe embarrasses you at a party over and over and over again, and every time they apologize and say, I won't do that again, but they do it again. What do you do in those kind of relationships? What do you do with difficult people who won't stop being mean? Or won't listen when you ask them or engage them. You know, uh, this could be your mother who's still telling you what to do when, even though you're 40 years old, right? This could be your teenage daughter who's like sassing you. Uh, just about every family, and I nod your head if it's true. So every family have somebody who's kind of a, a, aggressive. Other people sort of tiptoe around, like don't want to get on the bad side, right? Like, we're trying to have the family get together without that person blowing up. Am I the only person who knows what we're talking about here this morning? you got to help a brother out up here. Come on, right, there we go, some hands, that's right. We know what that's like. Now, what do we do with that? Um, so here's where we're going to, we're going to talk about this morning, how do we deal with difficult people? And I have three points, because I'm Presbyterian, right? You can forgive me for that later, but mutuality, okay? Love and limits, and wake up. Okay, that's where we're going this morning. Mutuality. Look at verse 21. The last verse we read this morning. I know by this point you were probably a little zoned out, but look again at verse 21. Look at what it says here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the ideal. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. Now, next week we're going to talk about that famous passage in Ephesians 5 about roles for men and women and relationships. And without preaching on this sermon this morning, if we just go to that one, that can result in a lot of bad fruit in relationships. A lot of actually controlling behavior in relationships. Verse 21 is absolutely foundational. You got it? Absolutely foundational for everything that comes after that. So we need to talk about this mutuality in relationships. The biblical model for relationships is mutuality, one another. It's like one of those phrases that's all over the New Testament. All these different descriptions of the ways that we are to treat one another, all this one anothering. And the model for this is that both people in a relationship, okay, be a marriage, a friendship, in family relationships, both people should matter. Both people have to matter. You matter and I matter. Both of us. You know, any relationship that's long-term and non-transactional needs to look like this. Now, not the person who's the clerk at the grocery store ringing up your groceries. That doesn't have, you're off the hook for those kind, right? But any relationship that's long-term and non-transactional, both you and I have to matter. And there's a problem when that's not the case. But the model of this comes from the Trinity. So can I draw you a little picture this morning? A lot of times people draw a picture of the Trinity that looks like this, right? Triangle. If 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want to draw a different picture for you this morning of how the Trinity functions with one another. You ready? You can copy this one down if you want to. So let's do F for the Father, S for the Son, and HS for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's think about how the members of the Holy Trinity relate to each other. And this is from John 16 and John 17, and the fancy theological word, in case you want to impress your friends and flex on them later, is called perichoresis. But you don't have to know that. So go ahead. Here you go. So this is the relationships between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're so dynamic. This is like a dance. You ready? The Father, He glorifies the Son. Do you know what the Son does to the Father? What does He do? He glorifies the... He glorifies the Father, right. And the Father, I mean, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and the, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Holy Spirit glorifies the Father, and it's just like this little dance of inner steps and glorification and edification and mutuality. Mm, that's what's going on. Eternity passed. You want to know what was going on? No one was playing PS5, right? This was what was happening. Just enjoyment of one another. This mutuality, this glorifying, this other giving love, this adorning, this beautifying. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible to think about. God was that happy with himself, right? Like, that, like, this is just all that's going on. And this is the model, actually, for what our relationships are supposed to look like. Mutuality. I matter, you matter. I am giving to you and adorning you, and you are giving to me and adorning me. Like, there's this back and forth. Now, what happens when that's not the case? when a relationship becomes really difficult because one person can't express an opinion. You know what I'm talking about? One person can't express their emotions. That's not okay. Nobody might say it's not okay, but everybody knows it's not okay. Uh, when, when one person is, is uh, controlling another person, when, nobody can, when somebody can't express what they really think in a relationship, that is dangerous and destructive. We have an old friend of ours, Darby Strickland. She used to work in youth ministry with me. She's written a whole book about this. What do you do in these kind of difficult relationships? And she calls it oppression. She's like, this is a biblical category of oppression in relationships. And it's, it's dangerous when it means one person matters and another person doesn't matter. Now, to be, let me go a little stat, statistics on you this morning. Researchers say that about a 25% of long-term relationships, marriages in particular, are marked by that kind of oppression. That's a crazy high number. But let me just testify to this too. Our elders have seen this. Over and over, we've seen relationships where one person can't express what they think. And that's not okay. That's not safe. That's not healthy. You know, we want health in our church, in all of our relationships. But here's the good news this morning. And I... You may be feeling a little heavy. You may be like, man, this is not the Mother's Day sermon I signed up for this morning. But let me give you a little hope. There is hope in Scripture that tells us this, and it's, it's just this little picture that's given this passage between light and darkness. There is hope over and over in being people who bring things out into the light. God says there's a life in the light. Look, listen to these, some, some of these things in this passage. For at one time you were darkness, this is verse 8, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 13, when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. There's one room in my house that drives me crazy, uh, and it's our TV room. And our house was built in 1940, so nothing is square, and nothing makes sense. Like, you, you would never build a house this way now, right? But our TV room, to get to the light switch, you have to go all the way through the room to the other side of the room. And, you know, we also have this, carp, this rug on the floor that's black and white and gray. So at night, okay, picture me, I'm like shuffling through, trying to find the light switch over there, and the carpet perfectly camouflages PS4 remote controls. Okay, it does. I mean, like, and my sons love their PS4. We have a minor addiction problem at my household, but it's okay. We're handling it, right? But like that, you know, but I'm shuffling across the floor and the camouflage remote controls and it's dark. And of course I'm going to fall. I fall just about every time at night going into this room. What's the problem? Well, things are in the darkness. They're not exposed. When things are exposed in the light, Right? This passage says there's health, there's life in that. Like, I'm, I'm going to be okay if the light switch is on. I wish, wish I could rewire my house. But anyway, uh, there's hope in the light. Now, now here's where I want to go this morning. Is like, for us, that's true in our relationships too. So let's think really, really focused here on what does it mean to love someone who actually is difficult and at times even dangerous? What would that look like? How does this picture of light and darkness help us to be able to love people who are difficult to love? Um, and here's, here's what we see in this passage. He's calling us, Paul's calling us, to put off behaviors that have to do with the old way of life that's apart from God and put on behaviors that are part of the new way of life that's with God. We'll come to the second, the, the, that first part later, but I want to look again at verses 7 through 12. Listen again. He says this, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Are you all scratching your head as you listen to this? It is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, Paul is not talking here about those smaller things in our relationships. You know, annoying habits. Maybe, maybe you're in a, a close relationship with someone who's a mouth breather. Sorry about that. <laughs> New Testament doesn't tell us what to do with that. Like, you, you sort of just overlook annoying habits. Right, like uh, personality foibles, you know? You need to trim your nose hair, right? Like, yes, but like that's not a sin, right? Uh, or, or things that are minor issues. Insensitivities. Small hurts. We're told to overlook such offenses. But instead, Paul's here talking about major, repetitive, destructive patterns. Major, repetitive, destructive patterns. He says sexual immorality, drunkenness, crude talk, filthiness, deceit. And he calls them, all these things, the unfruitful works of darkness. But the warning here is interesting. Did you listen to this? Verse 7, do not become partners with them. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I mean, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? Now, we're all sinners here. I mean, sort of church 101 is that 
people have a sin problem that God has a solution for. But we believe we're sinners. And we expect, our elders expect in our church, that there are going to be lifelong things that we're all going to struggle with. Romans 7 says, I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Right? There are going to be patterns in all of us, blind spots, areas where we struggle, particular pet sins that are just hard for us to overcome. All of us are going to have those things. So we're not talking here about weakness. We're talking about strugglers or about those who are caught in things that they're trying to get out of but can't. We're talking here about something else. 1 Thessalonians 5 is really helpful. It tells us there are categories to different kinds of sinners and how you relate to them. Paul writes there, he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He's saying, like, they're, they're those people who are weak, who are really struggling. What do they need? They need help. There are those who are faint-hearted, who are getting discouraged. What do they need? Encouragement. But then he says, admonish the idle. Now, that word idle is really interesting. A better translation is disordered or unruly. They're out of order. They're out of control. And, he's, and there's something about this idleness word means like they don't care. They're actually destructive, and they're okay with it. And what that means is we're talking about someone here in this passage in Ephesians and in other passages in the Scripture that is someone who's unrepentant, who's unrepentant. So the first question in your difficult relationships, is this a person who's repentant or is unrepentant? Who's like, I do destructive things and I'm trying to change. Please, please, you know, encourage me in this. Help me along. I'm really struggling, right? That person, grace for them all day long. But here he's talking about someone who's unrepentant. Someone who's unrepentant in their destructive relationships. You see, nobody in our church, this is one of the things I want to make sure you understand from this. Nobody in our church is looking for perfection. We're looking for direction. Does that make sense? We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for direction. Are you moving? Are sinners moving toward Jesus? But when someone is stuck in a pattern where they're hurting themselves and hurting other people, and they're unrepentant, that's something we need to think about. See, and the next step, what we do with that is really predicated upon the answer to this. Are they repentant or not? And we need to actually listen to what God says. Because in the Southern Church... We think nice is the answer to everything. Like, I can out-nice you. I can be nice enough to you in your destructive patterns and the way you talk to me and the way you treat me over time. It'll eventually go away. And, and in some ways, we're actually off from what Scripture says. Listen to some of these other things about how you handle, how the church is to handle people in destructive unrepentance. Second Thessalonians 3 says, If a person doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. Wow. That's kind of harsh. Have nothing to do with these people. 2 Timothy 3, 5. If a person stirs up division after warning them once, warning them twice, have nothing to do with them. That's Titus 3. If your brother sins against you, you go show him his fault. That's Matthew 18. This is in the Bible, people. Like, it's not just nice for everything. We don't have one button. Nice, 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 right? Like, there are ways that we need to learn to deal with destructive behavior. Maybe you're in a relationship where you feel victimized all the time. And, and you go like, well, that's just my mom. No. That actually may be unloving for you to continue to allow that person to stockpile lots and lots of sins against you. That may be uncaring. I mean, what does an unrepentant person need? This is, not a, this is not a trick question. 
To repent, there we go, yeah. Wow, I mean, like, that's what an unrepentant person needs. What does a repentant person need? Encouragement? Patience? You know, you're doing great? Let me help you? And so, like, just like Rebecca says in Ted Lasso, accountability matters. Accountability matters. You know, and, and so, like, setting limits on a relationship may actually be the most loving thing that you can do with a difficult, destructive person. So let me give you a tool. Again, remember, like, every one of these sermons, I'm giving you something very practical. I'm borrowing this one from Dr. John Cox, who we had come speak at our church on marriage and about parenting several years ago. So this isn't from me. But he talks about four levels, four kind of steps to dealing with a difficult person in your relationships. Four ways that you rebuke the idol, the unruly person. Here's what he says. First one, ask them the question, would you be willing to change X? Would you be willing to stop snapping at me when you talk to me about our kids or our finances? Would you be willing to stop telling stories on me at a party? Would you be willing to stop leaving all the dishes in the sink or all your clothes on the floor? Anybody know that one? <laughs> right? Like, would you be willing to stop? Now, some of you are like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard of, Bradford. Like, time out. Really? A question? But this is, this is like, not that hard. Like, a lot of times in our conflicts with one another, especially long-term relationships, we assume the other person actually knows what's bugging us. Sometimes you just need to come out and say it. Like, hey, would you be willing to stop this destructive behavior? Now, when you ask that question, there's a little hook inside that worm, all right? There's a little hook inside there because if that person, when asked the question, would you be willing to stop this destructive behavior, and they say no, it's like, ooh, you're holding up a mirror. You're like, who's being a jerk now? Right? Like, it, it sort of reveals, like, no, I'm not willing to stop that. But you're giving them the chance. You're giving them the chance to actually speak up and say yes or no. All right, that's first level. Second level of dealing with a, a difficult person. Start talking to them about the reality they're creating. The reality they're building in your relationship, and actually probably in the universe. I mean, nobody can be a lifelong jerk without kind of creating a, a trail behind them or a wake. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's lots of broken things probably in that person's life that they're not looking at. And so all you're doing is you're saying, like, this is what it's like. And this is the effect of your, your actions on me. Cox tells a story about a woman who, over time, as her husband berated her regularly, talked down to her in mean ways, she would say, I just want you to understand every time you say that, something in me internally pulls way away from you. But she's not shouting at him. She's not going revenge. She's very calm. But she's saying there are cause and effect to the way you're treating me over time. I mean, it, it's information. It's not a threat. It, it's, Aunt Sally, you, do you realize you're scolding me? like you did when I was four, and I'm now 44? I mean, it's sort of funny, but it's like, you see what you're doing? You're holding up a little mirror. You're saying, this is what this is like on this side. You know, an unrepentant person is actually working with an NC State Fair funhouse mirror. You ever been to the funhouse? Right, you know the funhouse. You go in the, and you look at the mirrors, and they make you like really tall, or really short, really fat, really skinny. You know, God is a mirror maker. One of the ways he designs us in relationship is that our primary relationships 
Help us see ourselves. Some of y'all who are parents, you know, you're like, man, I, having kids? I'm like, oh, no, that's what I'm really like. Right? Like, there's something about being in a long-term, deep relationship with someone else. It's like holding up a real mirror, taking away the funhouse mirror, and saying, this is what it's really like to be around you. Right? It's not mean. I mean, a mirror doesn't nag, does it? Any of y'all stand in front of the mirror in the morning and it judges and criticizes you? You may feel that way, but that's, that's your problem. It's not the mirror's problem. Right? Like, but, like, the mirror doesn't nag or criticize. It just says, this is what is. See, the second level here of saying, like, this is what is. This is what it's like to be in relationship with you. It's causing me to diminish. Third level, if that doesn't work, then you start setting some rules. You start setting some rules. And a rule here is, again, it's, it's not getting even. And it's not a rule about them. It's a rule about yourself. It's a rule about yourself. Hey, if you, talked, if you continue talking to me this way, um, I, can't, I can't listen very well. And so I'm going to come back when, when you're ready to, to not talk to me that way. It's a rule about me. I can't listen well, so I'm going to come back later. Right? I don't talk to pointing fingers. Um, I don't talk to inebriated people. You see what you're doing? You're, you're not saying, you can't get drunk. You're saying, I don't talk to inebriated people in my life. You're not saying, I, you can't shout at me. You're saying, I don't talk to pointing fingers. I can't hear you when you talk like this. Um, again, John Cox, he gives a couple of great il- illustrations. This. He tells him about his freshman, his daughter, who's a freshman at college. She comes home from college, and he's like, hey, uh, would you mind helping your mom clean up the house? And she's like, oh, you can't tell me what to do anymore. He's like, oh, you know, like internal Bradford, listen to that story. I'm like, oh, I would have had it out right there, you know. But instead, he's like, oh, so you mean you don't want your mother and I to be able to speak into your life for good or bad anymore? And she's like, oh, not sure I want that. Right, or he gave, gives an example of a wife who kept bringing up a sin that happened 20 years ago, which he had repeated repeatedly repented of to her. And she, every time something would go wrong, he'd bring it up again. She'd bring it up again, like, this is how you are. And, and he finally said, you seem committed to needing me to keep me in the bad boy position. What I want to ask you is to figure out what you need to metabolize your past hurt. And then I'm ready to talk about how, about that again, when you can answer that question. So it's again, setting limits in the relationship. Nobody, this is true in all our relationships, even with our kids, those are your parents. No, you can't control anybody. Nobody can control another person. You can, however, do things and set limits that make that person have to deal with their own consequences. You can influence another person. So this, like, you know, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but instead of exposing, all this is doing is exposing. Just holding up a mirror, saying, this is what's happening in our relationship. And the last level of this, number four, is bringing in another party. This is just straight Matthew 18 something. If if your brother sins against you, he won't listen to you when you go show him his fault, you bring somebody else. He tells a story, Cox again tells a story about a a wife who every time they got in the car, the husband would start yelling at her. And so she just had this idea. She talked to her husband's best friend, said, can I just call you? And when he starts going, he's like, sure, just call me. So 
she just would ring the number and hold the phone up. So the husband's sitting there, like either his best friend's going to get a really weird voicemail if he doesn't pick up, right? Or he's going to hear what's going on. She's just helping him to see, bringing another person in to see. See, the goal of all this is not shaming. It's not revenge. It's not being mean. It's not getting even. It's just, it's an attempt at love that says, I'm going to put up a boundary and put up a mirror that helps you in your destructive behavior actually to grow. You need to change. I'm not trying to make it happen on my own. I'm not trying to be mean to you. But I'm having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Instead, I'm exposing them. Just showing you this is what's going on. Now, this is the last point here. Wake up. Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're going, ouch. <laughs> he is talking about me this morning. Like, all of us, because we're sinners, right? We've established that this morning. All of us are sinners. All of us do things that are destructive in our relationships. All of us say things we shouldn't say. Anybody with me on that? Do things they shouldn't do. Later on, you're thinking, you're like, why did I do that? So you may be sitting here this morning, you're like, oh, no. Like, Bradford is arming other people in this room for how to deal with my destructive behavior. What's going to go down this afternoon? Well, here's the good news of this. If the, if the Spirit is pricking you, it's not me. If the Spirit is pricking you, even about a fight you had this morning on the way in the car, or something earlier that happened this weekend, here's the good news. Step into the light. Right? Step into the light. Remember the good news of this passage. For once you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and the true. Verse 13, when anybody's exposed by the light, becomes anything exposed by the light becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Here, here's the good news, and it, it comes straight out of this passage. Verse 14, wake up. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You have this opportunity this morning. If the Lord is pricking you this morning on destructive behavior, you know, ways that you talk to other people, or patterns that you have that are destructive in your relationships, good news, you have a chance to move toward Jesus this morning. I mean, the gospel's new every day for us. We never exhaust God's grace. We never outpace his love for us. He never gets done with patience with you. He is always willing to deal with repentant sinners. That is such good news. I mean, think about all the stuff that's listed in this passage. You know, crude talk, filthiness, uh, sexual immorality, drunkenness, deceit. You know, maybe there are destructive forms of behavior that, like, you're like, I know. Ow, stop talking. The Lord is calling you. The Lord is calling you. You can step into the light. So let me close with another Ted Lasso story. The, the villain of that soccer show is this woman named Rebecca. and She's the owner of the, the soccer club, and she... She, her whole intent is to actually destroy the soccer club because her ex-husband, Rupert, this was the one thing he loved in all the world. And so she is continually kind of doing two-faced. So outwardly, she hires Ted Lasso. She's like, he's going to come here and take over the soccer league. Inwardly, she's plotting him to fail. She's like, this guy's going to ruin it, and it's going to get back at my husband. Right? And so there's this weird dynamic. She's always the, like, smiley boss, but she's really mean and vindictive and revengeful. And that's what's kind of going on behind the scenes in the show. It creates this dynamic. Well, over time, um, Ted Lasso, who's just this yokel, right, from the United States, and he's kind 
and engaging and wants to know her. Eventually, this kind of wears her down. And she begins to see not only what she's done to this man, trying to destroy his career and destroy his soccer club and be against everything he's trying to do, but she sees who she's doing this to, someone who actually has become a friend and she cares about. And this creates this inner tension. And so so finally, she kind of realizes she's got to go and confess to him what she's done. And after a couple of mistries on this, she finally shows up and she names every way that she sinned against him. And you can see she's just sort of bracing for him to just lay into her. And what's amazing in the show, and this is one of those few moments where you see like the gospel on TV, is he stands up and he comes over to her and he, sa- he says, I forgive you. And you can see she's like, she says, why? He says, divorce is hard. People do crazy things. And, and he embraces her. And that's the moment. And there's no, like, explosion. There's no meltdown. There's no rift. And he doesn't pretend like, oh, no big deal. No, it was a big deal. You could see him having to go like, I forgive you. You know, it's such a beautiful picture of her stepping into the light I've been so destructive. I've hurt you so much. Will you forgive me? You know, this is what God gives to fallen sinners like me. And good news for you too this morning. God invites us into the light. You know, with all the stuff, all the destructiveness, all the ways we hurt other people, all the ways that we're selfish, all the ways that we look care just for number one, the things that we've said that were cruel or mean, we could go back and erase out of the history. God has a remedy for that. It's in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning, fellow sinners. The church is filled with sinners. You're in a good place this morning. Not one of us can stand up before a holy God, except for closing Christ. And so I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's go to the Lord together. Lord, there's not a person here this morning who can look back on our past and our history and our relationships and feel great about it. We all have words that we shouldn't have said and things we shouldn't have done. We're filled with regret. Lord, we're filled with shame. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is true this morning. Lord, help us to wake up and step into the light. Help us, Father, to run away from those... That's shame that really doesn't need to clothe us anymore. Lord, we thank you that you wash us clean and you make us new. Lord, we pray for that kind of hope in each person here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.